You're listening to Producing with Purpose, an ethical business podcast with me, Tony Corrales. We'll be speaking to some of the greatest CEOs, creatives, founders, and entrepreneurs who have established and managed companies that put ethical practices at the forefront of their mission, all whilst navigating the challenges of the business world. Hey, and welcome to Producing with Purpose. You are listening to episode 30, and today on the show, I'm speaking with Leah Mush, also known as The Unmaterial Girl. This was a really nice conversation to have because it came together really organically. It's not someone that I reached out to originally with the intent of having on the show. I started speaking to Leah because when basically speaking to people to collaborate with for influencers on Instagram, I got in touch with Leah from the perspective of no skin and started having that discussion. And then as I always do when I'm researching for someone we want to collaborate, I started looking in deeper into what Leah was doing. I started reading her blog, The Unmaterial Girl, and stumbled across one blog that just instantly resonated with me which was, is it possible to be an ethical influencer? And this was something that really came to mind because we actually talk about it in this episode, but there's elements when you're contacting someone to collaborate with them because your brand has produced something and you know you want to get it out to their audience as well. When they're coming from an angle of a more minimalist or purchased with intention lifestyle, you're very wary of saying, hey, you know, we're over here. Can we send you stuff or can we work with you in this way? Because it feels a little bit hypocritical or it feels contradictory of what you're both actually working towards. And this is something that's been a little bit tough to navigate through the whole time of working with influencers for No Skin. So seeing that Leah had this blog really resonated with me, I thought it was a great, honest take on the subject. And straight off the back of that, I was like, actually, you know, we can talk about our collab, but let's first jump on an episode and record something for the podcast. So that is how today's conversation came to be. I also sent Leah the link to book in a time to have this chat. Usually we'd do them a few weeks out, but Leah was keen to get into it straight away. So just two days ago, she booked this in or two days ago from when I'm recording it and from when we've just done the actual episode itself. So it's a bit scrambling together to bring this episode, but As I was doing that as well, I thought this has all come together really organically. I just want it to be a conversation that we have. We'll flow through, you know, we'll get to know each other a bit and basically do that here in the constraints of the episode. And that feels very fitting as well, because having just recorded this episode, one thing that you'll hear us say, literally the word over and over again is authenticity. And what we've got in today's episode is just purely authentic is two people coming to something from other sides of the coin, but with a shared goal moving forwards, and then just having a discussion about that as well. So it was a really enjoyable Saturday morning here in a Melbourne lockdown to dial in and have this chat with Leah, and I hope you enjoy it as well. So introducing Leah Mush, the Unmaterial Girl. All right, so today on Producing With Purpose, it's a milestone episode as well, episode 30, which Felt like, <laughs> felt like that would never come. It's been a pretty hard slog getting here. But I'm really happy today to bring onto the show Leah Mush. Sorry if I did pronounce that wrong. I know we just discussed it. Excellent. So Leah is also known as the Unmaterial Girl. And we've been chatting only this week, actually. So this is a pretty rapid fire episode to get into. But straight away, we realized that there was a lot we could get talking about. So it's great to have you here today, Leah. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be talking to you today. Excellent. 
So we've got a lot we want to go into today and we're going to be talking about the main topic, which is the title of this episode, which we'll say straight out, I've ripped off of your blog because I loved the idea of it. And that is, is it possible to be an ethical influencer? But before we get into all of that, just give us a bit of an overview about you and what you do and some of your backstory towards becoming the Unmaterial Girl. Sure. So the Unmaterial Girl, I kind of describe is, it's almost like a bit of a persona I've created for myself. And I describe myself as a former fast fashion addict turned slow fashion activist. So I guess the point that I've always come from is from a place of not being judgmental about the fact that it is possible for you to change. So I used to be a massive fast fashion addict. I never asked questions about where my clothes came from. I was shopping like constantly. And it wasn't until I saw the documentary, The True Cost, and I started really learning about what was happening in the fashion industry that I realized that there was a lot of work that needed to be done. And I kind of wanted to start with myself. So that's kind of how it started out. But if we really go back, it was probably a bit of a catalyst was selling a business that I had started. So when I was 21, I opened the Happy Cabin in Brisbane. And that was a pretty ambitious thing to do, more or less straight out of, you know, I'd finished school and then I'd done a little bit of traveling and then I just went straight into opening this business and I owned it and I ran it for about four years and I just felt like there was a little bit of something missing and Mm. I didn't realize at the time, but it was actually the fact that there was really no social impact. It was a brilliant business and it was doing really well, but it felt like it was really only serving me and there was just something missing and so I traveled to Brazil. I did this random volunteer program where I was volunteering in some small communities in favela communities in Brazil, in Rio. And that's where I started to learn about the power of social enterprise. And that was a huge game changer for me. And I came back to Australia and I was really excited to start some kind of business based around ethical, sustainable fashion, because that was where I'd always been interested. And I kind of started by selling like 80% of the things that I owned. I started learning about minimalism. I started learning about what was happening in the fashion industry. And that's when I started documenting it. And the Unmaterial Girl was born there. And it's just grown for the past six years. And it's at a place now where I never imagined it would be at the start. But yeah, it's been quite a wild ride. Yeah, it's a really, that's a really great backstory. And I didn't realize that you'd actually, you know, I knew you'd opened the Happy Cabin, uh, but I didn't realize you'd started that and also sold it as well, which is, yeah, it's a really cool thing to do. As you say as well, when you're 21 and starting that, that's a great bit of experience to get under your belt. And that also reinforces as well, as we were talking about just before we hit record today is you've definitely got that underlying entrepreneurial drive between starting something that young and then jumping into building yourself out with this you know, essentially as a fashion influencer as well and creating all of the collateral that goes around that. And would you say that you've, has it changed your approach to you know, business, so to speak, having more of that minimalist mindset and including more of your values into what you take forward? Does that sort of change the way you approach projects now from a more business side of things? I think it definitely does because it's funny because when I started out, I never 
it was at a time when influencer culture wasn't really a thing yet. So I started on Instagram because originally the Unmaterial Girl had started as like a little show, a YouTube show. And so it was a show that I was producing in collaboration with a production team in Brisbane. And we made six episodes of The Unmaterial Girl. And it was this show that was all about educating people about what's happening in the fashion industry. And then they went bankrupt. So I lost my show and I decided to just do it myself on Instagram because it just seemed like a really accessible platform for me at the time. And so when I went into it, it was more to just really share what I was doing. I didn't go into it with the idea that I'd eventually be collaborating with businesses. But as I started growing a bit of a following and more people started seeing what I was doing, that's when I started being approached by brands. And instantly I had that conflict of how do I promote minimalism or how do I promote something that's kind of also spinning in the consumer wheel at the same time. So it's something that I've embedded in my media kit where I actually make sure that any brands that I'm working with are aware of the fact that I'm probably going to gift the item that I've been given away or I might sell it or I might even send it back. So I try to really keep tabs on how much stuff is coming in and how much stuff is going out. So it's always in my mind. Yeah, it's definitely a tough one. And, and that's why I wanted to talk to you today, because we've had a similar thing. And obviously, I've, I've talked about it quite a bit on the podcast and starting No Skin. There's, you know, there's no denying that one of the ways that we can work towards getting awareness around our brand is to working with is working with influencers and micro influencers. And that can be a lot more valuable sometimes than, you know, churning money into Facebook ads and things like that. It's about diversifying the way that we can reach people. But it is a challenge because we as well, come towards things with a desire to slow down the cycle of fashion. We want to produce things at more limited quantities. We don't want to just have a warehouse full of excessive stock, which we're then going to dump on sale and eventually throw out if no one buys it because it doesn't matter because of profit. Like that's exactly what we want to work against. So that's really challenging then if we, you know, we contact someone like yourself or uh, we recently have worked with a couple of other influencers as well who talk about slow fashion and more, intentional purchasing it's even hard to actually engage in that conversation and say hey we want to collaborate with you like it's obvious that that's something that we both work towards but we kind of want to you know send you something to review or to have a look at but we also understand that you're going towards slow fashion it's just a bit of a it's a bit walking on eggshells and sometimes to try and kick that discussion off because i think everybody finds it a little bit of a complex area which is why I really liked that you just tackled it head on with your blog about, is it possible to be an ethical influencer? Yeah. I mean, that blog post was written because I had a follower point out that gifted, like being gifted a product is also just as much a form of, I guess, advertising as being paid. And I had kind of towed the line with both. And it wasn't till really late in the game that I actually started charging for my posts. And this is something I discuss in the blog. And I'm sure a lot of creative people can relate to this. I had a bit of like imposter syndrome. I was like, I can't charge people for this, even though one post could take me upwards of five or six hours to create. I wasn't charging at the start because it it just didn't sit right. And then it wasn't until towards the end 
when I was getting a lot of offers and I was able to filter through and make sure who I worked with. And this is something that was from the start. I was so careful with who I worked with and I never compromised on the values of my blog. And I think that is why I like cherish my following so much is because the integrity of that blog is everything that that is the most powerful thing because I know that if I were to sell out which could have been easy to do at many points because there were points when I was a student and I didn't have a lot of money and Hmm. you know big brands were coming to me wanting to work together so that they could paint themselves as more ethical or sustainable like we can get into greenwashing at any point but there was a whole lot of people that just wanted me to get on as some kind of poster child for sustainability that I said no to. And I I just always felt like that was the right thing to do. And I still feel like that. I think it's such an important thing. And the great thing, I suppose, is with, you know, with social media as well, is I think it's actually made people far more astute in terms of their bullshit detector. You know, they can see if you're being genuine or not. And they can see the brands you're working with. If you suddenly drop a collaboration with a brand who's questionable already or in people's minds, then they're going to know that it's coming from, you know, it's coming from a place of money, uh, which is a hard, but it's a hard balance. And this is exactly what we cover a lot on this show as well is effectively, you know, you are producing with purpose. Your business, your brand is, is your personal brand. And there are opportunities there where you could take money and you could grow faster but you're having to knock those back because you want to balance that with your ethics at every step. But at the same time, if you were to compromise your ethics, you're quickly going to actually lose the important part of the foundations that you've already built. So it's just not worth it, even though it might be a quick win. Totally. And it's really never steered me wrong. And the other thing is when I'm working with a brand or collaborating with a brand, once we're, you know, joined together in some way, they reflect me if I've endorsed them. So I have to be so careful. I have to be able to answer any question that a follower is going to throw my way. Like, where is this made? What's it made of? Are people being paid fairly? You know, what's their transparency like? I have to be ready. So there's a huge amount of research that goes into working with any brand because if I can't answer those questions, someone's going to ask me and I don't want to be the one that's stuck without an answer. So yeah. That's always been really important to me and it's been a process that I've gone through it since the very beginning. I think that's a really interesting point to highlight as well because the reality is, again, coming at it from coming at it now from the brand perspective, so we have a product that we would love to collaborate with you to put out there and obviously that's how we ended up talking in the first place. And of course, there is from our side as a brand who hasn't got a huge amount of money we can spend on things like that, what we do have is product. And that's where the whole world of gifting comes into it. But as well, from whether you're a slow fashion influencer or a fast fashion influencer, and you know, you're know you far more into maximalism and you've got shitloads of stuff, there's still only so far that being gifted things is actually going to create you a viable business. At the end of the day, it has to come down to being paid for things as well. And there's a bit of a perception as well. And you know, I've got to claim not from me, but I know from other people I've spoken to as well, they're like, man, if I could be an influencer, that's the way to go these days. You know, you just basically snap a quick photo of someone's product, you get paid a bunch to do it. But they don't see that amount of work that goes in behind the scenes to having to research the brand, being able to have to be accountable for the questions that are asked. Again, especially in this space, because 
I can completely appreciate that. If someone says to you, oh, where was this made? and Or, you know, who was involved in the creation? What are the materials? And you can't answer it. Then that just completely devalues your authenticity because they think that you're just partnering with anyone. So there's so much work that goes into actually deciding on who to collaborate with. Totally. And I mean, I'm a real passionate perfectionist. If I'm creating something for a brand, I want it to look incredible. And that means a lot of effort will go into the photos. So it's never as fast as like, oh, I just took a photo and there we go. Like, bam. It's like, I'm setting up my tripod. I've got my self timer on my phone and I'm doing, you know, I'm simultaneously directing myself a lot of the time. Or, you know, oh God, some of the locations, some of the things that I've done, it's cringeworthy. It really is. <laughs> I've moved a lot. I've moved quite far from that. And it's something that I feel like the unmaterial girl now, I'm turning down the dial a little bit. And I'm also, now that I've created a space, I'm trying to open that up for other people to contribute, to add more voices to the conversation because I'm kind of getting to a point where I feel like I've really said a lot of what I can say. And when I first started talking about sustainable fashion and ethical fashion six years ago, it wasn't the conversation that it is now. And now there's so much more awareness. There's, It's not, you know, shocking or weird to say that you only shop from op shops. It's not controversial to say that you're not going to shop at fast fashion stores. It's becoming more normalised, which is awesome and it's great, but kind of the, for me, a little bit of the fight, it's like it's normalised in a way now and I feel like I'm starting to look at other areas where I can have some impact. Yeah, that's that's really interesting actually and pretty timely that you say that as well and I can see it that there, there does become that is it is one of the spaces when it comes down to fast and slow fashion where it's you know there's elements of it that are black and white and there is only so much that you can talk about and I think the same is the same is applicable to minimalism as well because they do go very much hand in hand um, in a lot of ways and I'm not sure if you you know I'm not sure if you're aware or follow Matt Diabella as well who's got a pretty big um, presence in the whole minimalist scene but he actually sent out an EDM today which I got I was reading this morning and he's he's saying that he feels like the concept of minimalism had a real peak when things were, you know, his documentary um, about minimalism with the minimalists was out on Netflix. His YouTube channel was absolutely blowing up and he was a big minimalist influencer. But effectively, the scene has now had its peak and is now coming down the other side. But I think in some ways that's because it's been normalized and people have been educated on it. And there's just there's less to say in some respects. But the problems, though, are still there that caused the need for things like minimalism and for slower fashion thinking, I feel like they're just not really going away. It's still so much to talk about. There's still such a need to be present. There's just not that much you can say without repeating yourself. Totally. And I think my desire to be the one that's always speaking has really tapered off. And also as I become more aware and educated about the fact that I don't always need to be the person with the microphone yeah. I'm trying to get more people involved because I know that there there are just so many more voices that I think can say things in different ways and that needs to be that's becoming more important to me. So mm. that's kind of been the spin on it that I've been taking because after all these years of working so hard to build this thing up, I feel like I'm at a point now where I'm like, okay, 
what can I do with this? Because yeah. it hasn't been like an easy thing, even though it's been incredibly rewarding. Like I cannot believe some of the things that I have experienced because of Instagram. And so mm. many people are like, you know, the word influencer or blogger or Instagrammer are so triggering, but the way that I've always done it, I feel good about it. I feel good about the way that I've participated in it. I think that's it as well. And it's great that you can come away from, well, I say come away from it or be a part of it and feel good about the the impact you've had and feel good about the way that you've navigated that area. Because I find it interesting as well that when you raise the question, is it possible to be an ethical influencer? And we've applied that today into the thing of the gifting and the, you know, the waste that can be caused and the advertising of you know commercial transactions and things like that but you can apply that line itself is it possible to be an ethical influencer to so many elements of what has happened in the space in the last 10 years since well the last five years more so since being an influencer has been a thing it has raised so many ethical questions and to be able to position yourself in that space and call yourself an influencer and feel that you have done it ethically is probably something that you're in a, a bit more of a minority of being able to do. Right. I think what was really important to me is to make sure that when I am collaborating with brands, that the audience, that my audience knows when I have been paid or if it's an ad or if it's sponsored or if it's gifted. So when I decided that that was how I was going to navigate this space, it became easier because I think that's an important part. I think people should be able to know if you've been paid. I don't think Mm. you need to share exactly how much, just in the way that I'm not going to ask every follower how much they make. But I think that that um, element of transparency is important to say, hey, this is something that I'm getting paid for. At the same time, I wouldn't have taken this money if I didn't really believe in in this brand. So that's kind of been like the backbone of, of how I've navigated it. I think that makes sense. And the thing is, as well, is for everyone I speak to who's in the space or has a lot, shares a lot of these views is, and this kind of ties into what I'll ask you in a second, but it's because we do love, you know, we love the fashion industry or we love the expression of clothing and things like that. It's not something that we necessarily just want to turn our backs on and, you know, pretend isn't a thing. It's like we want to embrace this thing that we care about, but it's just doing it in a way that harms you know, it causes far less harm. And if you can combine those, then that's then that's really getting onto a winning formula. And that's why I was going to say, you know, you, you clearly have a love for fashion and you've based a career around it from when you were 21 and before and studying it and everything that you've been involved within. But I guess that there are some times when you can wonder if it's where you should be or what you should be doing, because, you know, on one hand, you're educating about the importance of enjoying it from an ethical angle, but then at the same time, you're putting towards an industry that is inherently damaging. And that can be really conflicting. And that's pretty hard to deal with at times, whether it's because you're an influencer about it or you're a brand creating it. It's definitely a hard one to navigate between. Yeah, that is the ultimate conflict in all of this. Is how, like, can fashion ever be ethical? Can fashion ever be sustainable? Really? Those questions have plagued me from the beginning. And it's kind of, they're the two questions that I've asked myself all the way along. And I think what the Unmaterial Girl has always been about is about trying to answer that. And at the end of the day, it's yes and it's no. Yes. There are 
better ways. And what excites me is teaming up with brands who are so innovative and who are really pushing the boundaries of what can be done. And there's such creativity still happening in the fashion industry all the time. And that's always going to be exciting to me. Yeah. Yeah. There is still the issue of how much are we producing? How much do we ever really need? You know, how do you balance frivolity and a love of fashion? It's a tough question. And I think I've explored that in so many different ways, whether that's, you know, not buying anything new for six months at all or shopping my own wardrobe or challenging myself to only sew my own clothing if there's a trend that I want to be part of. It's always been the experiment of like, how can I do this better? And I think as long as we're asking ourselves that, we're somewhere on the right path. That's it. And as, as with anything, it's it's definitely being on the right path because it is it's a journey. It's not something that can be changed overnight, either from a you know obviously from a global and um, production level, but even on a personal level, it's not something that can be changed overnight. I mean, you come into a conflict even if you just decide that you want to minimalize your wardrobe and you want to turn things out, and something like, well, you know, there's items here that. I'm pretty much going to have to throw away. And then suddenly you just come cycling back to that same conflict again. We've we've come so far into a situation that it's not just going to be an overnight thing to turn it around. Totally. I think that was a, an issue for me when I cleared out my wardrobe and I thought, okay, there are things that I can donate. And then I learned that like 10% of the items we donate are actually sold. Yeah. And so much is then shipped overseas and then that's really damaging other local fashion markets and contributing to landfill and it's like it can be so overwhelming and dark but I've always erred on the side of hope because other way uh, like I can't really see any other way (laughs) to to be in it if you're not somewhat hopeful that's it And, and there is hope and that's what there are lots of brands doing and sometimes which I think I guess it's a good thing in a way is sometimes when we get so immersed around the brands who are trying to do the good things and who are trying to make more ethical businesses or just businesses in general, it doesn't even apply to fashion. It could be broader than that. And you see so many companies who are trying to prioritize, you know, their purpose and the, the being a good business, so to speak, that you forget that there are still so many large ones that effectively are either just greenwashing to tick the boxes or even quite blatantly don't care. And then sometimes you get little reminders of that. And that's where, like, I suppose that's the thing that keeps you motivated to keep going and to be innovative and to think of ways to get away from that world. But it's also when you see the scale of it still quite disheartening because you just think no matter what path you're on, there is sometimes a bit of a lack of hope as well. For sure. And there's definitely been times in this whole journey where I've thought, like, God, am I making a difference? Like, is this really helping? But then sometimes I'll get a DM or a message or I'll meet someone in person and they say, wow, I really learned a lot about this. Like my favorite people to talk to are the people who have no idea what ethical or sustainable fashion is because I feel like they're the ones who I have so much to offer to. It's not so much the people now that really are across it, but I would love to talk to more people that are just entering this world, you know, or people that were exactly like me really like unaware or closed off oh for sure they're they're the ones who you can really like help as i mentioned as well something that i wanted to get into talking about a little bit today is is really your experience in actually 
becoming an influencer and growing a personal brand. So focusing less on the content and the context of what you produce in the ethical fashion space and the slow fashion space, but more about the, the nuts and bolts of actually building up that. Because there are a lot of people out there who either want to become an influencer or they want to build their personal brand, help support the authentic reach of their business. So I guess what are some of the things you've actually learned along the way in your time building a personal brand? I think it's probably similar to what uh, what a lot of people would talk about in marketing when it comes to really honing in on what your voice is. So I think the unmaterial girl has always been very true to me in the way that I talk, my brand voice, my photography style. It was always just things that I like. And I think I don't know, I kind of developed a little bit of a like a I guess framework for how I presented anything to make sure that it was always on brand on brand for what it was that I was talking about. So getting really clear on your your personal voice and being consistent with your style, I think really helped. Yeah. And you mentioned there the word consistent, which is what I know to be one of the main things. And it's exactly the same with podcasting. And it's why, you know, there have been times since I started this, you know, at the beginning of this year, really, where things dipped down and it was a little bit crazy. And I realized that breaking that consistency is is damaging to building the growth of something. So what would you say in, in your space is the most important thing that you show up and do every week that keeps that growth consistent as well? I think it's been important for me to make sure that I'm only sharing when I really have something to say. So it's interesting to talk about because I don't think enough people are talking about it at the moment. As much as you can attempt to be an ethical influencer, you also have to be really careful of how being part of social media is affecting your mental health. So when I was trying to build this up, I was so strict on myself. So I had to post something every day. I was like, and it had to be really perfect, really curated. It had to be kind of radical in a way. And over time, I have taken my foot off the gas in a way because it just isn't authentic to always be churning out content. So something that I ask myself now is I really only share something if I think it's going to be of value to my audience instead of just trying to stay ahead of the algorithm and, you know, get those things out there. I think that that has been really important. And also protecting yourself because what a lot of people don't really realize, especially as I've grown, is that I'm the one that's reading your comments and DMs. Like, if I make a mistake or if I get attacked, it really hurts. <laughs> it really is scary. And I've had some bad experiences and cancel culture is terrifying and real. And I think you just have to protect yourself first and foremost because it's tough. It's tough out there, putting yourself out there all the time. You're also really opening yourself up to being criticized. And especially in a place where you're branding yourself as ethical or sustainable, you have to be so careful. Like there's been times that I've made mistakes that I just couldn't have predicted in a million years would have gone wrong. And so it's made me hypervigilant, which is good, but it's also, that's like hard on your system. 
It, it is really hard. And it, it's interesting as well, because there's a lot to be said for when it comes to posting and to building social accounts or building an audience or whatever. And as you say, exactly getting ahead of the algorithm is kind of relentless consistency is what goes towards that. But at the same time, consistency also means how long you can do it for. And as you say, you've been doing this for a number of years now with the Unmaterial Girl. And had you not given yourself that space and that flexibility, then yes, you may have been consistent every day, every day, day in, day out, but it it wouldn't have come this far. It wouldn't have gone for this long because it can be unsustainable when you're putting that much strain on yourself as well. The same as anything, you need a little bit of break from whatever the business is that you're running. And if you're trying to show up every day, even when you're really not feeling it, then it comes down to that authenticity as well, that people are going to see that you're not feeling it or you're dialing it in because you're just not in the right headspace. So giving yourself the ability for the long game is there's definitely a lot of value in that. Yeah. And I think being authentic is so important because I know that a lot of the times if I've shared something on social media, that's really real. People respond to that so much more than something that is like cookie cutter, like perfect, because that's what we want. And that's what's missing a lot of the time. Is that one of the trends that you've noticed evolving in your time? You know, because there's a difference as well between being active on social media as a consumer and being active on social media as a producer, which is what you fall into. Is that a trend you've noticed over time that people value more of that authenticity over the curated perfection or is it still a fine line to balance in between? Uh, I think it's definitely leaning towards authenticity I think people are really thirsty for it and like you said before people can tell when you're not being real and yeah I know personally I always a lot of the people that I follow that I really admire and respect are always the most authentic ones and the ones who speak out about when things are difficult because it's not always easy and so many people are doing their best and the concept of perfectionism in this space is a hard thing to deal with and something I've always been afraid of is I hate being seen as a hypocrite or I hate thinking of myself as a hypocrite and it's hard because sometimes you just are sometimes you just end up you know it could be hypocrisy that I talk about being sustainable yet I own secondhand things that are from H&M that could be seen as hypocrisy, but I also see it as it's also a solution in a way. I don't feel right to just throw it out or disregard it because of that brand. So it's hard. There's always going to be someone who's going to tell you that you can be doing it better and they're probably right. But I think, like I said before, as long as your intentions are really good and you're doing your absolute best, then we could all do with being a little less hard on ourselves when it comes to that. That's definitely a great you know, line, I suppose, to finish out that section with, because I think that's it is whether you're an influence in the space, whether you're a brand in the space, whether you're coming into it from another angle as well, it is hard. It's hard to build anything when you're trying to balance it with your ethics as well. It is basically impossible to be perfect. And there will be a lot of people on the external who are not perfect themselves, who think that because you're in a place where you're behind a microphone or having a conversation about it or putting yourself forward that you therefore should be perfect, even though we can all accept that it's not possible. So being kind to yourself and taking a bit of a a break and a reality check on that is extremely important as well. Definitely. And it's, it's super important. So 
So just to sort of work towards closing out then, what does the coming year look like for you? Is there anything that you've got lined up or where are some of the areas that you'd like to move into more? What, what does that look like for you? So I'm, I'm really naturally circling back to the idea of owning my own business again, even though the Unmaterial Girl is a business now and it, you know, it has become one, it really has always ultimately been more of a passion project. But when I owned the Happy Cabin and I had my own retail store, that that was running a business in a way that was really different. And so we've talked so much about authenticity, I might as well just put it all out there. But the last two years have been really major for me. I had come out of a long-term relationship. I found myself living alone for the first time in like eight years. Yeah. And I went through a, a lot of fast growth. I came out as queer to my family. And so that was really major and liberating and incredible. And then I moved to Melbourne at the very start of the pandemic. I literally moved here in like March last year. So. Yeah. I've spent the past <laughs> okay, year and right. a half or, I don't know, 235 days in lockdown. Oh, wow. Thinking about this business idea, opening basically opening an yeah. inclusive self-care store. So I'm working on a business that I've named Radical Self. And now that I am finally mm. living as a queer person, I've become so aware cool. of the lack of inclusivity in the wellness space And when I came out of this breakup, I kind of looked around for a store that was going to make me feel empowered and that had products that were ethical and sustainable, all the same values that I applied to fashion. I would love to spread across all of the different products in my life and I just couldn't find anything. And this idea, and I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs will relate to this, it's waking me up at night, it's talking to me in the shower, it's constant. And only now in the sixth lockdown have I financially committed because that was really the last step was going, okay, I'm going to back myself. I'm going to start funding this. I'm going to get my ABN. I'm going to get my website. I'm going to do my business plan. I'm going to reach out to suppliers. And so I've just been working on, on that. And it's exciting because I'm listening to podcasts like yours and just learning about all the different people that exist in this space. And it's incredible. I have energy and I have the fire that I had at the start of the Unmaterial Girl. Like we all do, I'm sure a lot of people can relate. You go in these big phases and I feel like this next phase is going to be about radical self. And I would love to have a bricks and mortar store, but I'm starting out online because we're still in lockdown. But having a store in Melbourne, this store in Melbourne, I think think it's going to work. I just got a feeling it's going to work. That's awesome. I love the idea and I'm really excited. Obviously, you know, I, this is something I had no idea about that was on your radar. So that's really exciting to hear. I'm, I'm pumped up for it, like partly because I love the idea and also hearing your passion about it is, you know, that's, that's a big driver for it. And it's really awesome as well that you've got your platform already where you can share that when you're ready for people to know more about this happening. And, you know, you've taken those steps closer and people will be able to see you show up with that passion as well. And I've got no doubt people are going to get behind that. Thank you. And I think it's funny because I'm, I'm aware that not every unmaterial girl follower is going to understand radical self, but some of them will. I think some of them will really get what I'm trying to do. And self-care and the idea of radical self-care 
it's like in the collective consciousness right now, like this is the time to be out and talking about this and why it's so important, especially post-pandemic, especially in Melbourne, because this has been like a big trauma that we've all experienced. And I think we're going to really need to work on taking care of ourselves right now and also as we come out of this, because it's it's not nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not. It's really not. That's awesome. So in terms of people finding out more about that, then I guess the best thing for them to do now is go and follow you through the Unmaterial Girl where then they'll be able to find out more as it gets revealed. Yeah. And I mean, I've started a just a simple Instagram at Radical Self Store. I'm working on building the website and I'm working with a graphic designer and I'm just kind of okay. putting all, I'm doing, you know, the ground, that fun groundwork stuff that happens at the start of a business where you're half terrified, half like this is the best thing ever, you know, a hundred times a day. So (laughs) honestly, it's crazy how far the pendulum can swing in an hour, but um, I keep (laughs) coming back to it and it's it's happening. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I I really look forward to seeing that come together. And when that is up and running and there's going to be a whole, you know, once that's been up and running for six months, there's going to be so much to talk about in the whole journey of, how that pendulum swings, what it looks like to move from one thing to another. So I'm sure there'll be plenty of material there for us to have another chat about that once it's on the move. Yes, I would love that. All right. Well, we will be linking, as we always do, in the show notes to to both Radical Self and to The Unmaterial Girl. So you can check out all of the links there. Um, and those show notes will be over on our new website, which is producingwithpurpose.com.au as well by the time this episode goes out. Nice. Awesome. Well, Leah, it's been great to chat. Um, It's been really cool as well to touch base with you this week, dive straight into learning things rapid fire, then having this conversation. It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely been a fun back half of my week getting ready for this. So yeah, thanks again for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This was a great social interaction (laughs) for another week in lockdown. And um, yeah, I love your work. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much. 